I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes first from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, and then from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. And forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. Thank you, Susan and Ivan and worship team. Good morning, Redeemer City. How are you? Good to be with you. My name is Jeff Skipper. Um, been a while since I've been here. I was uh, a church planning apprentice here about a year and a half ago, and um, now the pastor of Redeemer Southwest Church. So your sister congregation meeting a few miles from here over, as currently as we speak, uh, at the Howard Johnson. And so um, we are doing well. We're growing. Uh, we've seen a lot of new people come. They're building relationships, joining community groups and discipleship groups. And as I look out and see so many 
uh, loving faces, familiar faces who invested so well. Uh, just want you to know there's, there's a harvest that is being returned on your investment. Uh, even now, the last year and a half, as people have come to know Jesus, and uh, it's been really amazing. Uh, it's like we've had a front row seat to watching the kingdom grow. Um, and so, as appealing as that sounds, if you want to come join us, you can. <laughs> um, but I just want to say thank you. I, I do want to just mention a few ways you can pray for us. Pray for space. Uh, you've probably, you probably know this, but in Southwest Winter Haven, it's very residential. And so, as our long-term plans aren't to be in the Howard Johnson, as great as it, as it is forever, uh, we're looking for new spaces. It's getting a little tight. And so, pray for wisdom and opportunity for us. Um, ask you to pray for God to raise up leaders among us, spiritual leaders, as new people come in and we seek to, seek to uh, see them grow towards Jesus and, and pray for salvation, pray for conversions, that people continue to know Jesus and grow closer to him. Uh, so please do that for us. Um, now as we turn to our series this morning, um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he's the author of Sherlock Holmes, apparently he was known for practical jokes, and at one point he sent an unsigned telegram to some of his friends who were a little rough around the edges, and all the telegram said was, uh, all is discovered, flee at once. And uh, the legend goes that they all just left town immediately. Um, and, you know, it gives us an insight into we all know something of a, having a guilty conscience, you know. Um, just a sense of condemnation, feelings of shame. We, we carry that on some level. And, and the world says, well, the way you handle this, generally, one of the theories, the way the world says to handle this, is just think positively. You know, deny the category of sin. That's, that's archaic. Uh, so don't really go there with it. But my question this morning is, as we begin, is that satisfactory? Does that explanation, that strategy, really satisfy um, our feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation? If, if it does, then why are we still haunted by those things? Uh, why are we angered and bothered when people wrong us? Why do we, where does our sense of justice come from? And why, as um, Ivan prayed a few minutes ago, why, why do things seem so broken in the world? And why do our efforts to fix those things seem to continue to fall short? Like, we're thousands of years into this thing as humanity, and I don't feel like we're knocking on the door to utopia. We're almost there. We've figured this thing out. Is there not something deeper going on? As good as all of our efforts are, our common grace of government and education and medicine and all these things, and we see, you know, maybe signs of progress depending on how you define that. Why does it seem like we're putting Band-Aids on some sort of deeper infection, right? Like cancer. What, is there something deeper going on? And so, of course, uh, I don't think that explanation satisfies when we deny the category of sin. In Christianity, the explanation is there's something deeper going on. There's something broken in us and in this world. And when you get that framework and you begin to see other people that way and yourself that way and the world, things begin to fall into place. There's a narrative that's happening. Okay, now things begin to make a little more sense. Uh, Psychiatrist Carl Menninger said if he could convince his patients that their sins were forgiven, that 75% of them would no longer need psychiatric care. Another example um, as to how deep this goes with us, these feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation. But, you know, the thing is, we, it's not that we just need forgiveness, but we also need the power to give it, right? Uh, maybe you remember a couple years ago in 2015, the tragic uh, racist-driven shooting uh, at the church in Charleston in an African-American church where nine were killed. Uh, tragic, shocking. What was just as shocking, if not more, was the way the families got on national TV and looked at the killer and forgave him to his face. Absolutely powerful, moving, shocking. And if you go and watch those clips, you will see the news anchors, they're literally speechless after that clip is aired because they're like, how in the world can they do that? And they attribute it to the power of the gospel, gave them an otherworldly ability to live that way. 
And so maybe we're not experiencing the need to forgive on that level, but on, on, in principle, in some way, every day, every week, we need the power to forgive. Because here's the deal. If you don't have forgiveness, you, you feel enslaved to guilt, shame, condemnation, despair. But if you, if you can't give it, you're also enslaved. You get enslaved to bitterness and revenge and hate and resentment, and that eats you alive too. So you need both. And the good news of the gospel is that it gives us It gives us the power to do both. It gives us forgiveness and peace with God, and we have to start there. And then we're empowered to love and live at peace with the people around us and extend forgiveness to others. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. As we continue uh, the series through the Apostles' Creed, this ancient summary of the Christian faith, these are kind of the essentials, the basics of what it means to be an orthodox historic Christian, right? Across lines of culture, denomination, history, this is what um, we can all get behind. Okay, we may disagree on some of the secondary matters, but not these. And it's like this summer we've climbed this great mountain of our faith, and now we kind of stand at the peak. And we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I, when I say that, I'm reminded of three things. Uh, I'm reminded that, one, I need forgiveness of sins. Uh, but then I'm reminded that there is forgiveness of sins, and in Jesus I have that. And then finally, it's a challenge that I'm called to forgive others of their sins. And that's just the three things I'd like for us to look at this morning. If you look in your worship folder, there's an outline with three points. And so let's look at those things. First, the need for forgiveness. Uh, you know, not only in the world is there this temptation to deny sin, but there's also the temptation in the church, right, to underemphasize sin because, you know what, hey, let's kind of, like, bring that down a notch so that the message of Christianity goes down a little easier. You with me? We'll make it taste a little more palatable and, you know, That'll be good. The problem is you can't diminish sin without diminishing the cross. The two are inextricably tied together, right? Uh, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're like barely a sinner, then you have barely a Savior. If your sin is small, the cross is small, your experience of God's lo- love will be small, your joy will be small, right? The degree of the problem determines the degree of your joy when you find the solution, no matter what it is in life. And so, another way to say that is, you know, the good news of the gospel will only take you as high as the bad news takes you low. Okay? The good news will only take you as high as the bad news takes you low. So we have to start here, right? You have to have a good doctrine of sin, not only to understand other people and why they are the way they are, right? Uh, but to understand yourself. You know, the things you struggle with personally and the world. But then finally, the gospel. You have to have a doctrine of sin to understand all of those things. And so... Uh, let's talk about first, what does sin do? What happens when we wrong one another, when we transgress one another? Whether they're um, big universal laws we'd all agree on, like abuse or betrayal, unfaithfulness and things like that, or maybe your own personal laws that you set up in your life. When people cross those boundaries, what happens? Well, there's a relational effect that takes place. What happens is separation. You know, if I blow up on my kids, uh, or if I argue with my wife, uh, there's a tension in the air, right? Spouses, yes. There's silence, there's distance, there's tension. And so we become separated. Same thing with my kids. And what happens immediately is I I begin to lose the benefits of the relationship. The benefits of the relationship begin to deteriorate. My experience of joy and wholeness and peace and fellowship with that other person begins to go down. And so there is a barrier that's been created between us two people. That's what sin does. And that barrier has to be addressed before we're reconciled. And so that's what Peter's bringing up here. He goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times do I let this thing go? You know, people, you know, sin against me. How many times do I forgive? And Jesus responds with a parable. Look at verse 23. He paints this picture. He says, 
the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so, uh, what Jesus does, he says, well, Peter, listen, first of all, he doesn't say, Peter, get over it. Sin's, it, you know, sin's not real, it's not a big deal. He dignifies Peter. Yeah, we're sinned against. That hurts. It's wrong. You're, you've been wronged. You can't just, like, downplay that. Um, but he says, before, before I go there, before I answer that, you, you have to understand something about yourself, Peter. And he turns Peter's view from a horizontal axis to a vertical axis. And you can see there in verse 24, he goes on and he says, let me tell you a story, Peter, okay? Uh, there's a servant, and he owed 10,000 talents uh, to this king. And in the commentaries and so on, you see that they try to do modern uh, translations for how much money that would be in our modern times. And it's like $6 billion dollars. And the whole point, Jesus is saying, it's an incalculable, infinite debt that this servant has to this king. And so, uh, you don't have to go to seminary to make this quick application, right? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Peter, this is true of you. This is true of us with God on an infinite scale because of our sin. We've racked up a really, really high debt between us, ourselves, and God, and there is now a barrier between us and God. The Bible teaches that God is holy and he made us in his image. Yes, absolutely, he loves us. But we were made to reflect his ways in the way we think and talk and, and in our actions, and we just haven't. When we compare ourselves to his law, not our own standards that we set up for ourselves, you may do well on your own standards. You may even do well with the standards of other people, but do you do well against when you measure yourself up against God's standard, right? If it's like a black light and it shines in your dark heart, uh, what stains show up, right, on a heart level? Now, you may, you may think of God's law only in regards to doing bad things. And let's just say you've done pretty good in that regard. I just haven't done the bad things. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. I can name the commandments. Yeah, Jeff. Jesus said it's on a heart level. If you lust, you commit adultery. If you hate, you commit murder. But you know I'm pretty good in those regards. Well, Jesus said the greatest two commandments are love God with all your heart and love other people as yourself. So have you fulfilled the commandments in a positive sense? Right? And what the law does there is it begins to trap all of us. When you broaden your definition of sin, everyone is trapped. And so as we begin to define sin, isn't broken rules? Absolutely. But ultimately, what you end up with is a broken relationship with God. You see this from the very beginning of the Bible. What happens? Adam and Eve are with God. They walk with him. They're perfectly content. They don't experience anxiety, fear, worry, any of that stuff that we that we deal with death, because they're with God. It's perfect. But they sin against God, and what happens? They get separated from him, right? And all these bad things come into the world. Death and all of his nasty friends come into the world, and there's a big flaming sword between them and God. <laughs> What's that imagery? You're separated from God. You're not with him anymore. And so, Isaiah 59 says this is true for all of us. It says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So, not only are we passive victims, that we live in a broken world, sins in the world, bad things happen, and we feel that, but we're also active contributors to the problem. It's not those other people, it's us too, when we measure ourselves according to God's standard. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so not only do I need the sin problem, the, you know, that infection to be solved out there and in other people, but I need it solved in myself because I stand under condemnation, under God's judgment. And so this is the fundamental problem of the entire Bible. If you don't read the Bible through this lens or see the cross through this lens, it won't make sense. The problem is this. How can sinful man dwell with a holy God? 
How can we be reconciled to him? How can I avoid judgment, be put back in a right relationship with him, and therefore regain the good benefits of being in that relationship? Joy, peace, life, wholeness. How do I get that again? And so the servant here has a plan. How he's going to get back in the good graces with his king. Look there in verse 26. He says, here's the deal. I'll pay everything. And oftentimes that's our first plan. There's this debt that's piled up between us and God. There's this barrier. And we, and we start strategizing. All right, I feel this, but I'm going to make it right. I got a plan. And often it's like that. I'll be moral. I'll be good. And, and that, I'll work off this debt. And that'll make me right, right? But we got to go back. Verse 25 says he couldn't. It's an infinite debt. That's not an option. <laughs> we, can't, we can't make up for it by how we live. And so we kind of reach a place where we're completely helpless, right? The bad news of the Bible chops us down to a point where our hands is empty, hands are empty, we're out of strategies, we're out of plans. And as we read in community Bible reading about a week ago, Ezra prayed this, and we, we have to recite it with him. He said, God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Now you may say, Jeff, that sounds drastic. Here's the deal. If you can say that, you're right where you need to be. You're on the right track for the gospel to rock your world, for Jesus to be absolutely beautiful to you. You, you have to start there first, or the cross will make absolutely no sense. And this is what's underneath all of our striving is we long to close this gap, this separation, right? We long to get back to Eden, right? To, to be with God, to have peace. Is what we, that's what we long for. But again, the barrier of sin must be addressed. We need forgiveness. And so then you may ask, well, what's the big deal about that? If God's good, then why can't he just forgive us? Apparently, that's what the king did here. So let's God just do that. We can move on with our lives and all is well. Well, let's look at the second point. Look at verse 27. It does sound this simple when you read it. It says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Well, there you go. There's forgiveness. But we've got to look closer. Forgiveness is never free. Forgiveness is never free. Uh, I put up a new mailbox recently. And it's beautiful. I did the whole concrete thing. I didn't just shove it in there like I used to. Concrete, like the fresh letters. And these things, when you're an adult, like those little projects make you proud. You just finish it, and you sit out and have a drink. You just, my wife walked out, what are you doing? I'm just staring at my mailbox. It looks so good. Proud of that thing. But let's say I invite you over, and you back out of my driveway, and you run my mailbox over. That's like come to Jesus meeting, right? You've put me in a really tough position at that point. You have. How dare you? I have two options. One, I can make you pay. Hey, listen, dude, you've got to replace my mailbox. I need a check or go to Lowe's right now. Come do the work. Or I can forgive you. Okay, but is it that simple? No, because if I forgive you, then I pay. Either I take a loss on my mailbox, and I just don't have one. I get a P.O. box down the road. We go back to that deal, right? Or I go to Lowe's. I do the work. I pay the money. I put it up. Either way, because of what you've done, somebody's got to take a loss. And this is why forgiveness is hard, guys. You can't just forgive. When someone sins against us, a debt is created, and we can make them pay in some form or fashion. We can lash back out in violence and make them pay for what they've done to us. We can gossip about them. That's a way to make them pay. We can avoid them. We can give them the silent treatment. We can hate them in our heart and kind of, you know, beat them up in our hearts. Or we can not do that and absorb the cost ourselves. We take that pain, that blow that they 
that they, they did against us, and we let them go free. But either way, somebody has to take the blow. This is why C.S. Lewis said, uh, you know, forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something you need to forgive someone of. Then it is a terrible, terrible, dreadful practice. Because here, right, the forgiveness is free to the servant. He goes bebopping off. He's happy, but it's costly to the master. He just lost, he just lost everything. So if that dynamic's true, when it comes to forgiveness, this debt, this barrier, that's how forgiveness works. You can't get around, around that. So when it comes back to us and God, either we have to take the blow for our sins or he, as the offended, takes the blow for our sins. So, something has to be done if we're, if we're going to be out of this debt and reconciled to him. And now we begin to understand the cross. You see, uh, an angel showed up to Joseph and told him before Jesus was born. He, he defined Jesus' mission. He said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So not, not like he's going to be a really good moral example. If that's, listen, if that's all God was out to do, surely he could have thought of a less intense way to give us that example, to be good people, right? The cross would have been an overreaction if all his goal was to show us live moral right, and be good people. No, Jesus' mission was to remove this barrier of sin so that we could be forgiven and restored into fellowship with the God who made us and restore into fellowship with one another so that we could uh, experience the benefits of that fellowship, the joy and wholeness and peace of what it means to be reconciled and in, in a peaceful relationship with God and other people. And so in the gospel, when you see Jesus born, when you see him living his perfect life, what you are seeing is an offended God chasing down the offender, right? He's chasing us across the house when we still have our backs turned to him, when we're in the wrong, and we want nothing to do with him, and he's chasing us down to love us and forgive us. And then on the cross, what happens is Jesus, the offended, becomes the offender. Because he had no sins of his own, he could take ours, and he absorbed the infinite blow of God's wrath that we deserve so that our debt could be paid in full and that this barrier could be removed and, that, and so we could be brought to God, as 1 Peter 3.18 says. So we could be brought back to God, fellowship restored. That's why you see things like the veil in the temple was torn in two when Jesus died. What's that all about? The way is clear to be back with God. There's no more sacrifices. The temple system is broken down. All of these barriers are out of the way, and the benefits of being in the relationship with God come back. Joy, peace, a clear conscience, uh, right? forgiveness, all of these things. And, so, and you see this tension of God's character solved at the cross. right? He's a just God. He has to punish sin. Uh, when he reveals himself in the book of Exodus, he says, I will by no means clear the guilty. Well, the gospel says he, he didn't clear the guilty. He didn't just sweep it under the rug. He punished sin. But at the same time, he manifested his great, great, great love for us. If we would have been condemned for our sins and judged for our sins, God would have lost nothing in and of himself. But because he's good and because he loves us, he chased us down and died on the cross for our sins to make us right with himself. So what's your strategy? Is it I'll pay? Well, look. Look at verse 27. What did the king do? This is an important word. He forgave the servant out of pity. And that Greek word is compassion. God forgives us by grace. We have to come with him with empty hands. If we try to pay for what he's already paid for, we insult him. He says the debt has been paid in full. Colossians 2 says all of your entire debt's been canceled and set aside. Jesus nailed it to the cross. You're forgiven. And so the good news of the gospel is if your faith is in Jesus, there are no sins to condemn you. 
You stand forgiven. You stand forgiven now, and you stand forgiven forever. The Bible says you might remember your sins, but he does not remember your sins. He separated you from them as far as the east is from the west, and he's buried them into the depths of the sea. And Paul says in Romans 8, he he says on that day, he stands up and says, who will condemn God's elect? Who has any charge to bring against them? Last time I checked, Jesus died and rose again. There are no sins that will raise up and stand up to condemn us on that day. And nothing can separate you from his love, no matter what you've done. And this is God's heart for you. He's merciful, but he's eager to forgive. He makes the first move. He comes all the way down to the cross to die for you. And so the call today is to turn from your sin and believe in Christ and be forgiven and reconciled. And not only have your slate wiped clean of all the bad things, but your slate filled up with Jesus' good things. You receive his righteousness. It's not like God gives you a do-over. You know, it is finished. He's made you fully righteous through Jesus. And, and if you have this experience, it, it changes you. You can't, you can't have an experience. You can't be forgiven of a great, great, great debt freely and not be changed after that. I know this illustration has probably been used here many times, but it bears repeating. No, it's not Narnia. It's um, uh, Les Miserables. We'll go there, right? Uh, you remember, if you've seen that play or read the book, there's Jean, Jean Valjean. And uh, he's a convict, and he's been let out of prison, and he's, nobody wants to take him in. Uh, but he's a harsh guy. And a priest takes him in. And a priest says, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to give you a bed, I'll let you sleep here, and so on. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, this rough-around-the-edges guy, steals these expensive candlesticks from the priest, and he, and he hightails out of there. Well, the next day, the cops catch him and bring him back to the priest, you know, by the neck, And they stand out there in the front yard of the house and they say, I caught him. He's got your candlesticks. And the priest looks at him and says, oh, you took the candlesticks, but you forgot everything else. Here, here's the plates, here's the silverware, all of this expensive stuff. You forgot everything else. And after the cops leave, the cops are shocked and they're like, oh, okay, I guess this this is legit. This guy's okay. And the priest goes up to him and he looks him in the eyes and he says, I've bought your soul for God. You can't be the same anymore. And Jean Valjean has this absolute crisis. He is is just ruined by the grace the priest showed him. If you read the books, it's even more intense. His life changes. He was no longer harsh, and he began to love other people. That experience of grace and forgiveness just absolutely ruined him in a good way. If you remember Jacob from the Old Testament in Genesis, he he was a liar and and a deceiver. He, He ran it hard. He did a lot of people wrong, right? And God just chased him, chased him, chased him, and finally ran him down, so to speak, and wrestled him in the middle of the night and gave Jacob a new name. He forgave him. And it says the next morning, this hard guy who ran it hard and, you know, was harsh with other people, he woke up and the sun was rising and he limped off into the sunset. What's my point? He was wounded by the grace of God. He was never the same. He couldn't walk the same. He couldn't poke that chest out as high. He couldn't lift that chin up, uh, you know, as high. He was changed. He was wounded by grace. And Peter, the guy asking the question to Jesus here, he was pretty quick to anger. He's known for chopping people's ears off with swords. That's pretty bad, right? Rough around the edges. But what happened? Jesus forgave him three times after Peter, Peter denied him, and Peter changed. You read in the book of Acts, he's a humble guy. He loves Jesus and he even dies for his witness to the cross. What about you? Have you been changed by grace? Are you less harsh, less quick to anger, 
humbled, not holding resentment and grudges against other people. Those who know how deep their sin is and how great God's provision of forgiveness in the cross and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they walk with a limp. And they're humble and they're wounded by grace. And so we look finally at this life of forgiveness. Back to Peter's question. He says this servant who's been forgiven an infinite amount turns around and goes and chokes his pal out for pocket change. You know, he grabs him by the neck. The guy owes him a few bucks and he won't let it go. And Jesus says, when you withhold forgiveness from other people, you're like that. You're going around and you're acting like you're the debt collector and you have no right. Only God can exact payment for other people. You can't stand at the cross as a forgiven servant and hold grudges against other servants. You can't. And so the call here is that as forgiven people of God, we are now the platform on which the great forgiveness of God is made visible to the world. And that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians here. He says you're to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's commanded. So the, the, the real application of this parable isn't, it's, it's don't stop at being the forgiven servant, but go be the forgiven king, forgiving king. Go live that way. Right In the story of the prodigal son, don't just be the forgiven, welcomed home, celebrated over prodigal. You go be the father, and you forgive and welcome other people like that. Go be the father. Go be the king. Do it for the good of other people. But guess what? Do it for your own good. Forgive other people for your own good, because withholding forgiveness only eats you alive. And you guys know that's true. The bitterness gets down in your heart. The resentment, it eats us alive. It digs roots down in us. And that's why I look there in verse 35. Jesus says, you have to forgive from your heart, right? Because we both know, like, you can say it verbally, but you can still continue to replay it in your heart. And it only makes you weary. You punish them in your heart. And Jesus says, you've got to get that out of you immediately. And the question is, how do we do this? Uh, Corey Tim Boom was a Christian, and she helped uh, Jews escape during the Holocaust, and she was in prison. And later, she spent her life uh, sharing her story, uh, and she went and she was sharing her story one time in Germany. And there happened to be uh, one of the former prison guards of one of the concentration camps who was known as one of the coolest guards there in attendance. And he approached her after her talk and her story and basically said, wow, what an amazing story. And he stuck out his hand to shake her hand, and she just stood there. And she said, I was just wrestling. I, I prayed within myself to be able to forgive this man, to reach out my hand and, and shake his hand. And finally she did. And in her words, she said, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You have to know God's love and forgiveness in Christ moment by moment to live this way. The gospel can't be something that got you in the gate of, of, of heaven one time. It can't just be a historical event, not just what got me saved. It has to be alive every day to give you the power to forgive and love this way every day. You remember in the Old Testament, remember Israel in the wilderness, they couldn't live on yesterday's manna, right? It went bad. They needed new manna every day. And as Christians, we need that. We need God's word every day. We need to live in community with other believers. We need to read our Bibles and pray. We need that every day to continue to extend forgiveness, not only new occasions of where we need to forgive, but some of you are dealing with, you've been sinned against badly. You have years and years behind you and maybe even ahead of you to where you need to forgive. It's a long road. It's not easy. And so day in and day out, we have to go to the cross. And you have to walk in community with other believers to encourage you and support you to live this way. 
We need forgiveness. We've been forgiven by Jesus Christ by faith. And we're to extend forgiveness. And so as we just apply here a few things, are you harboring bitterness? If so, you're enslaved. But the gospel can set you free. And, and the real call would be this. Don't wait until you feel it to go give it. Go give it, and then eventually you'll feel it. Right? Go, seek that person out and, and do all that you can to forgive that other person and live in peace with them. If you're not a Christian, today there's a Father in heaven who calls you home. God's not standing in the corner with his arms crossed holding grudges against you. He has chased you down. And his arms are spread wide open and he longs for you to come home. And so the call today is repent and believe in Jesus. God is showing patience towards you, long-suffering towards you. And so the call today is to quit running, to quit working and trying to pay him back and receive his forgiveness by grace. And then finally, if you're a Christian and you're weighed down with guilt and shame and condemnation, the call is to look to the cross. There's good news that God doesn't remember your sins. What would it feel like to, if you've been released from a huge debt, do you sit down and just continue to replay that debt in your head and talk about it and so on? No. You're free. You can sleep well. It is finished. And that's the call of the cross. It is finished. God has forgiven you all of your sins, and he doesn't remember them. And so we go to him now, and we pray, Jesus, help me know. Help me know how much I've been forgiven, and empower me to live a life of forgiveness, even now. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for your message of grace. Our sins have mounted up and risen higher than our heads. Our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. And so, Lord, I just pray for the grace to first be able to see that and then to be able to look to the cross and hear the story of your great, great love for us. Help us to know that uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would run to you this morning and we would experience that, that we would know that. We would know your love and your grace and your pardon uh, more and more, Lord. I pray for those who don't know you, that they would see you as a good, loving God, that they would see this, that no other theory, philosophy, or religion speaks of a God who loves us so much that he would come down and pay the price of the debt to reconcile us to himself. And that is good news. So, Lord Jesus, be glorified now as we continue to seek you. And in your name we pray. Amen. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that, that's good news. That's beautiful news for, for everyone, for all Christians. And so this, this forgiveness, it changes us. It does something in us. And so we, we are called to go out and we are sent out to forgive as Christ forgave us. So we go with Christ's blessing, God's blessing over us. So please raise your hand for God's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen.